Amen. Praise God for each and every one of you that are here this morning. I, I welcome our visitors. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. It's such an honor that you chose to worship with us here this morning, and we pray that you feel welcome, that you felt the love uh, in this sanctuary this morning. Amen? Uh, so we just thank you. Uh, in, 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 and a front call comes from our Pastor Jamal, who is not here this morning. Uh, we just want to welcome you and thank you for being here this morning. As we continue on in our uh, It's Not About Me Challenge sermon series, amen? And so we have been focusing again on our theme this, this month, uh, this year actually, which is It's Not About Me. And I think it's clear, everyone should know our theme this year, amen? Uh, so our challenge we have been looking at, It's Not About Me, but we have specifically focused on a challenge, it's not about me challenge, uh, that we want to focus on these next 21 days, hoping to help us to look at areas in our lives in which we can be challenged, ways in which we can be stretched uh, to do things that we have not been doing, to grow closer to the Lord during those 21 days. And although we have focused on the fact that this challenge is for 21 days, it's truly a, a, a challenge that is to start now, but it is to go beyond. And so I pray that what we do over these next 21 days will help continue to compel us to do the things that we are being challenged to do. Uh, for a lot of times we become stagnant at times and we become complacent or content where we are in our growth and what we're doing. And I pray that through the message and through the sermons that have been preached that uh, you will be challenged, that you will accept the challenge and be pulled out of your comfort zone, because some of these challenges truly do pull us out of our comfort zones. But we know that they will help us to grow closer to God if we, just, if we, if we aim to do so. Uh, over, the first, over the last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Jamal has brought uh, before us a couple of uh, challenges. Uh, first, uh, the, the, the witness, uh, not the witness challenge, but the worship challenge, uh, so that we may learn how to be better worshipers. What does it mean to be a worshiper? And as we looked at that, we focused on that in Romans chapter 12, which is where we're going to be this morning again. Uh, Romans chapter 12, where we focus on what it means to be a worshiper. We also looked at learners. How can we learn and, and how can that help to transform and renew our thinking so that we may be able to do what God has called us to do? And last week, we looked at servants. How can we be better servants for God? Truly, that is what God calls us to do, to serve those whom are around us. And so I pray that uh, through those challenges, um, you will grow in Christ. And today we're going to be looking at a couple of challenges uh, as well. If you will turn with me to Romans chapter 12, uh, we're going to be starting at verse 9, and where we're going to be focusing on two challenges. We're going to be focusing on a family challenge, if you will, and, and, and a challenge to be witnesses for Christ. Uh, again, and if you, I don't think they're in your bulletins this morning, but we have had, I believe over the past couple of Sundays, the, uh, the pamphlets or the inserts in the bulletins, which many of you already have, which clearly show our um, challenges. And so if you will um, just stand to your feet, if you would, and in reverence to God's holy, righteous, perfect Word, and we're going to start at verse 9 and go down to verse 21. 
The word of God reads, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will, reap, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. You may be seated. Wow, there certainly is a, a lot to behold in those passages. Paul is encouraging those in Rome to basically to live out their, their Christianity, to live out their calling. And there's a lot here that we can focus on in these verses. Uh, what Paul has given us are some practical ways in which we are to live if we're going to strengthen our relationship with the Lord. For that is what the purpose of this 21-day challenge is, is, which is to strengthen our relationship with the Lord. And that's something that we need to keep in mind and to keep focus on, is that we will grow closer in Christ over these next 21 days. It's not to boast in how we have completed a challenge or how we have completed a fast or anything like that, but truly just to grow closer and to, and to strengthen our relationship with the Lord. And so this is a, a personal challenge. We may do some of these things within our families and, and kind of discuss them, but this is a challenge for each and every person that we may look and see what it is that we feel that uh, of these seven challenges that God is leading us to, to do and to, to strengthen us in. Uh, this passage lets us know that if we're going to strengthen our relationship with the Lord, it's first going to come with how we treat others who are around us. And so that's the key piece that we look at verses 9 through 13, is that it tells us that our relationship with others is an indication or, or, of how we are uh, relating to God. How we treat others around us is also an indication of how much we truly love God. And so we can't separate the two. We see that throughout Scripture in how we are to treat others. We are to love our neighbors as, as not only as we love ourselves, but as Christ has loved them as well and as he has loved us. And so we see these verses is about just about how we can treat our neighbors, what it is we can do as we look at this, the passage, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, honor one another, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, uh, share with God's people, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you. All of these things are helping us to be able to live in a way that glorifies God among people who are around us. And so we see the key piece of, in this passage, the entire passage is basically about love. 
It's all about how we are to love those who are around us, which will indicate how we love the God who we serve as well. And so the entire passage is about love. It starts off, love must be sincere. And it's as though Paul is saying, what does sincere love look like? If we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which defines and describes to us what true love is, we will see that a lot of the words that Paul uses here are basically the same thing. Love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not boast. It is not self-seeking. All of these things that Paul talked about, about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, are laid out here in how we are to live. And so it's the, it's the same thing. The, the scriptures are in harmony here. And so when we look at this, all of these things that we are encouraged to do and we're challenged to do, some of us may be feeling as though, well, this is, this is a little bit impractical or it's impossible to do these things that Paul is calling us to do. We look at some of these things such as do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, is what he's telling us to do. And so we look at some of these things and we ask, is this, is this possible? I find it so difficult to love my enemies, to bless my enemies, to not take revenge or not mean uh, the, the worst for my enemies. And so while we look at this and we think that some of these things may be impossible, uh, you, may, you, you may be right. It is impossible for us to do these things. It is impossible if we try to do these things outside of the strength of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ reminds us, he tells us that what is impossible for men is impossible with God. He tells us that in Luke chapter 18, verse 27. And so let us not rely on our own strength to do these things, but let us rely on the strength that God gives us to be able to do what he's kind of called us to do. The one thing that I have come to know when in worshiping and serving God and, and looking at scripture God calls his people to do the impossible. He calls us to defy the odds. And the challenge to us, are we going to trust in him to do what he can do through us, to help us to, 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 to go beyond what people normally do, but to do things that are supernatural. And so that's what he's calling us to do. He wants us to trust in the strength that he gives us through the Holy Spirit to be able to carry out and do these things that he's laid out here in verses 9 through 21. So we see that God gives us the strength to be able to do these things. So while we are fasting and while we are going through these challenges, let us remind ourselves that it is God who has given us the strength. And let us go to him and ask him to help us to do these things which we may have difficulty doing. Not only does God give us the strength to do these things, but he also gives us the motivation for doing them. He gives us the motivation as we looked at previously in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul was telling the church there, he says, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And so that is the motivation uh, that we see Paul talking about here. The motivation is God's mercy. So God gives us the strength to be able to do these things, but he also gives us the mercy to be able to do them as well or the motivation, I'm sorry, to do these things, which is his mercy. And so when we look and we reflect back, when we think about how difficult sometimes it is to love our enemies or to do some of the things that Paul is calling us to do, let us reflect back on the mercy that God has shown each and every one of us. 
For we know that there were many times that we were in places that we should not have been in, doing some things that we should not have been doing, around some people that we should not have been around. But it was by the grace and the mercy of God that we have made it where we have. It is only by the grace and the mercy of God that we have, that we survived and that we have been saved in, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so let us uh, reflect back on that mercy whenever we find it difficult to carry out these things. Think about the mercy of God and let that be our motivation, the motivation to love our neighbors and to, and to love those whom God has put around us. As we look at this particular passage, verses 9 through 13, focus more on our love that we are to show to the church, uh, the, the body of Christ, the church. So when we look at these things, uh, Paul is telling us to love, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, uh, being close to one another, honor one another above yourselves, share with God's people, practice hospitality. All of these things, it seems as though Paul is really focusing on what it is we can do to strengthen our relations with one another in the body of Christ. And so when we look at this contextually, we see this is, this is basically what Paul is talking about, the body of Christ, the family of God, and how we are to live out the life that he's called us to within the body. And it, it's, it, when we look at this, that, that's something that we should see. I should see your love toward me in the body of Christ, and you should see my love toward you. It shouldn't be one of just what I say, but what I do. And so you should feel, we should feel each other's love. But if we look at this particular passage, again, contextually, looking at how it applies to how we are to love one another within the body of Christ, I want to use it to help us to focus on how we are to love and to show love and demonstrate love to those who are in our immediate family first. Because it's important that we show love, that we do the things that God has called us to do in our families, in addition to showing that same love to our church families. And so we want to focus on, on that this, this morning and, and how we can be better witnesses in our homes. Uh, we, we have a saying here at Forest that we are simply a family among family, or family of families. And the family of Forest Baptist Church is only going to be as strong as the individual families. And so we must work to strengthen our families. And, and as we strengthen our families, we will grow closer in our, in our relationship with God. For that is what God has called us to do, is to, to, to focus on our families as well. The time we spend with our families should help us to do one thing. The, the time that we, we spend, whether quality time or however we spend our time in our families, it should help us to, to, uh, for our family members to witness the love of Christ in us. To witness the love of Christ in us. Our family members should be our greatest advocate of our godliness. Because they live with us. They should be able to, uh, uh, to, to look at how we live in our homes and not necessarily in the church sanctuary and be able to, to, to affirm that God is moving and God's grace is, is moving in, in our lives. And so I'm challenging husbands and wives and children to spend time loving your families. Spend time leading others closer to Christ. As we look at, turn to 1 Thessalonians, and I want to show you an example of 
witnessing someone's goodness and witnessing the uh, good works of, of someone. And when we look at 1 Thessalonians, the passage that was read this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, looking at verse 10, Paul was careful among the Christians in Thessalonica. And we notice here in this passage that I'm going to read, starting at verse 10, that Paul's not necessarily so focused on, okay, me share, he's definitely focused on him sharing the gospel, but he's also focused on how they view him. And are they, are they witnessing what he has done there? And so in verse 10 he says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each other, each of you, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So those in Thessalonica could witness for themselves how Paul has treated them. They could witness his righteousness, his holiness, and how they have been blameless before those at that church. And I'm encouraging and challenging us and our families to do the same, to live in such a way that our wives can see how blameless and how holy their husbands are. Amen? And our children, likewise, can look at their parents, can see that God has truly called them to be separate, to be set apart, and to glorify God in, in, their, life, in their lives and what they do. And so we see, as we go back to Romans chapter 12, Paul challenging us to do these things in the body of Christ, but we will look at them and how we can do these things and how we can love those in our families even more so. One of the things we see is that Paul is encouraging us to do in verse 10 of Romans chapter 12. He says, be devoted to one another. Challenging us to devote ourselves to one another. When we devote ourselves to one another, we set aside time that uh, we may be doing something else or maybe looking to use that time for some other reason, but we're devoting time for those in our family. How often do we set aside time just to uh, to help our families, to encourage our families. Uh, purposeful time, intentional, and set inside time. So that's what Paul is calling us to do, to, to look at our schedules. And, and everyone has busy schedules. We all have a lot on our plate a lot of times. But Paul is challenging us to make time to invest in our families and to not overlook that. He also tells us further on in that same verse, honor one another. Honoring one another means to put others' interests before ourselves. And he's calling us to put our interests, put, put the interests of our family members before our own at times. And sometimes that can be difficult for us to set aside time when we want to do something else. And quite often we may fail at honoring others because we have a natural propensity to being selfish. Natural propensity to being selfish. What's the first thing you think of when someone asks for you to do something for them? How is this going to affect me? I want you to do this. How is this going to affect me? Can you go here for me? How is this going to affect me? A lot of times we, that's the first thing that we think about. Not just in our families, but anywhere. When somebody asks you to do something, in some kind of way, our first, naturally, we think about, how is this going to impact me? And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we will be looking for a reason to get out of doing it rather than a reason to do it. 
And so God is challenging us. Paul is challenging us here in this message to, 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 to spend time with our families, to devote time and to honor our families. Spend time together praying together and reading and discussing God's word. For many of us, that just seems so unnatural to read God's word or to pray together or to even sit at the dinner table sometimes together. It just seems so unnatural. It seems so foreign. And we have to recognize that when, again, when God calls us to be a new creation, he calls us to do things different than what we did before, that we can no longer continue to do the same things and get different results. And so he's calling us to do something different here. And so I'm challenging each and every one of you, if you don't eat together, you can start there by showing love, by saying, we're going, if, and it's, if it's possible, not everyone can, can do that. But if it's possible, try to set time and say, we're going to eat dinner together. And during the dinner table, ask each other how their day is going. Talk to one another. Um, praying for each other. How often do we pray for one another? Let's devote time in our families to try and set aside a time where we can pray together. And I'm not necessarily just always talking about praying in our little prayer clauses because that's, that's good and that's what we're called to do. But I, I truly think that God wants us also to pray together, to come together and pray. Children, ask your parents, how can you be praying for them? Parents, ask your children, how can I be praying for you? What is it you're struggling with? How often do we do that? Sacrifice the TV and Facebook for time with your family. I know sometimes we have those shows come on. We have a show come on. Me and the guy, we have our games coming on. We're like, okay, wait a minute, wait after the game, after the game. After the game. Then after the game, I, I got I get, get ready for work tomorrow. I got to get ready for work tomorrow. But when we talk about honoring one another, that word honor kind of, it, it means to what it is we value. And, and, and when we honor one another above our, of ourselves, we are truly helping them to see how much they are of worth to us and how much we value them. And so nothing, of course, should be more valuable, uh, of course, outside the relationship of Christ than our, our families. And so he's calling us to sacrifice some time. Uh, if you choose a, a scripture, Matthew, Mark, or, or John, or, or some passage, and I challenge you these 21 days, spend time just kind of going through the word of God. It doesn't have to be every day, but try to find a time at which you can come together and you can maybe read a few verses and just kind of discuss that. I guarantee you things will change in your family if you just trust in the Lord and to do this and to cover your house in prayer and lock your doors with the word of God. How much stronger would our families be if we spent time in God's word? Sometimes we expect change to happen by bringing our families to church on Sunday and doing nothing else that really edifies God or draws them closer to the Christ Monday through Saturday. So God is challenging us. Spend time with your family. And it doesn't always have to be reading scripture or praying. It could be going to the movies or something. I'm not sure. Sitting down and watching a movie together. One of the things that, if you recall back a while back, the Cosby show came out, right? And everybody liked the Cosby show. But some people were saying, ah, the Cosby show, that's kind of impractical. Ain't nobody living like that. 
It's, and, and true, it was fictional, but we looked at it sometimes with a, 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 certain, a certain eye because we, we felt that there's no one living like that. And sometimes we, I think we approach what God is calling us to do in that same regard. God is calling us to, to pray with our families, to read God's word in our families, and to, uh, to continue to just to, to love on each other. And we look at that sometimes like that's, that's, that's so foreign. That's not something that, because that's not something that we normally do. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll see God not asking us to do these things, but him commanding that we do these things. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 5, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so what God is calling us to do is to live radically for him in our families, to love on our families, to love them by sharing God's word with them and by uh, helping them to see who God is. And as we look at this, it's truly something that will help improve our relationship personally with God, but it also will help improve our family's relationship with God helping our family members to witness us in a different way, that we are serious about our relationship with the Lord, that we don't live one way on Sunday and then live another way Monday through Saturday. And as I said before, those in our family are our, should be our greatest witnesses as to how we are godly and how we love them and how we love people. Our, our family should be the greatest witness of that. I'm reminded of what Charles Spurgeon said. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, there's a great deal in the way in which a man walks in his house. He says, it will not do to be a saint abroad and a devil at home. There are some of that kind. They are wonderfully sweet at a prayer meeting, but they are dreadfully sour to their wives and children. This will never do. Every genuine believer should say, and I mean it, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. It is in the home that we get the truest proof of godliness. What sort of man is he, said one to George Whitfield. And Whitfield answered, I cannot say, for I never lived with him. That is the way to test a man, to live with him. And so we see that Charles Spurgeon talking about the greatest way to know what type of man or what type of woman a person is, is to live with them. And many of you all can contest to that. You were dating somebody for a while, and then when you lived with them, that was a whole nother story. <laughs> I can tell the truth. Something different. Is this the same person or what happened? So we look at this and, 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 and Spurgeon is telling us, this. God's word is telling us, 
It should be the same at home as it is in the church sanctuary. How we love those in the church family should be the same, if not actually more, we, we love those in our immediate families. And so are we doing those things to show love, right? We, I think we all can say, okay, I love my family. I love those who are in my family. But if anything we see in the word of God is, is, we, is love is, is a verb, and it's about showing that love. We can talk about love, but it's talking about doing that love. So when we look at this and, and, and look at praying in our families, reading God's word in our families, how much stronger would our families be? And how would Satan's plans be diverted? And how would Satan's plans be frustrated if we would just do what God has called us to do? Satan has entered into many of our homes and he has set up camp. And we don't even know it. Just come right in the front door and he's just sitting down and just having a field day in our homes. And we just go about business like ain't nothing even happened. Like that's normal. That's the way things are supposed to be. Satan has set up camp in some of our homes. But we need to be like David. David did not allow somebody to just come into his home and take his family. I, I look, when I look back at 1 Samuel chapter 30, where David and, 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 his, and, his, and the other men had stepped away, they went, went away from Ziklag. They were away from Ziklag, and when they're away from Ziklag, the family and the children were back at home, and the Amalekites came, and they raided the homes, and they took their families. And David came back, and they were weeping. It was, it was so bad that the men who were with David said, they were just thinking about stoning David because of what happened. But David didn't allow that to happen. David didn't allow the enemy to come into his home and take his families. He went before God, prayed before God, and then he went and got his family. And that's what a lot of us need to do is we need to go and we need to reclaim back our families. This challenge is really to the men. Men, reclaim your families back. Don't allow the enemy to come into your home and to raid your house and you not even know it. No man would allow somebody to come into his house, do whatever he wants to with his family, and you not do something about it. But yet we let Satan come into our house, set up camp, do what he wants to do, and we go about business as though nothing is even happening. And then we say, well, if it works, it works. If it don't, it don't. With the word of God, there is no if it don't work out. There is no other option. And so I'm challenging. I'm challenging my men. The one thing I'm confident in, the one thing I know is that the Lord will call each and every one of us. He will call me. He will call Minister Bishop. He will call Pastor Jamal. He will call all the men. And on that day, and he will say, what did you do to lead your families closer to Christ? What did you do? How did you lead them closer to Christ? Well, I brought them to church on Sunday. Okay, that's good. What else did you do? What did you do personally to lead your families closer to Christ? And so this challenge is to the men, especially. Not only for the men, because I think in this, we all have some claim. If we want to strengthen our families, there's something that the youth can do in this as well. And not just look into the parents and say, well, the parents don't do this, then I'm not going to. You know what God's word says for yourself as well. And so God challenges the youth as well to do what you can to strengthen your families. But certainly for my men. 
take back what is yours. Take back what the enemy has come and, to, and grabbed, and we don't even know it. And, the, and in order for us to do that, it's going to require that we have a, first a relationship with the Lord ourselves. We're going to have to have a, a relationship with the Lord ourselves as men in order to take back what Satan has come and grabbed. Get a relationship, strengthen our relationship with the Lord, which is what we're trying to do these 21 days. But also, go to the Lord in prayer. And, and, and if your home is not, uh, if there's a lot of conflict and a lot of chaos, go to the Lord in prayer. That's what David did when, he, when his family was taken from him. He went before the Lord in prayer and he asked God, Lord, tell me, should I go and get him? I'm paraphrasing. He said, should I go and get him? And, and God said, go ahead. It's basically what God said. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, go ahead. And so I challenge you to strengthen your families. How much more stronger would the family of God be, the church be, if we would, if we would do this? Something else we see in the passage in Romans chapter 12 that, that Paul calls us to do, he tells us, he says, um, in verse 11, he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I like what he says about keeping your spiritual fervor. Because many of us can have spiritual fervor when we're in the church sanctuary, but when we step out of the church sanctuary, our fervor is gone. And so he says, keep your spiritual fervor. Let it, let it, let it keep motivating you all the way through the week. Don't Exit out of the church home, and then your spiritual fervor leaves. Extend your sanctuary to the house. Your church sanctuary, just as we act a certain way in the church sanctuary, he says, extend that to your house. If we could take Forest Baptist Church's sanctuary and set it up in your home, could we do it? He says, extend that. Keep your, your spiritual fervor going. And that's what we, what we are challenged to do uh, in order to strengthen our, our relationships with our family. To, first of all, and above, and above all, to spend time with them, devoting time with our families, honoring one another above ourselves, uh, to be sacrificial in our families. Uh, I, I think one of the things that truly uh, is, is, is troubling many of our families is that there's not a lot of sacrifice a lot of times. We don't want to sacrifice time, or we don't want to sacrifice certain things. And, and, and Christ calls us to be sacrificial and to be servants. And so when we look at this, let us continue to keep our spiritual fervor as we serve the Lord. And so when we look at the passage, again, we talked about how the passages so, and, and the challenge, the family challenge, is to help us uh, to, to, to walk in a way and to love our families in such a way that our family members witness the love of Christ through us. They are to witness the love of Christ through us. But the passage doesn't just focus on the church family or our immediate family, but it also focuses on how we are to treat and to love those who are unbelievers, those who are outside the body of Christ and how they are to witness uh, our actions and, and how they are to view us as well. What is it that we should do? And, and, and Paul's telling us that we should love uh, those who are unbelievers as well, that they should witness that. 
And that's not easy a lot of times. It's not easy loving those who persecute you, who may be talking about you. But throughout Scripture, we see, not just in this particular passage, but everywhere in Peter, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. It's because to this you were called. And so we, we are called to, uh, to, to bless those who may be persecuting us. And the primary way we love unbelievers or we love those who are maybe persecuting us is to be peaceful, to be peacemakers, I'm going to say. Not just peaceful, but to be peacemakers. Because some of us, we may not necessarily be peaceful, we may be peaceful, but we may not necessarily be peacemakers. Peacemakers is when they see a conflict, they go and try to, try to squash that conflict. They are light in an area of darkness. And so if we are to be witnesses to those who don't know Christ, the one thing that they should know is that we are a peaceful people. If there's one thing that troubles me more than anything else is when there is unrest and when there is commotion within the body of Christ, when there is uh, uh, some, some, some issues that are facing us as Christians where we, we have a lot of commotion. If we belong to the kingdom of God, if we belong to the kingdom of God, no one on the face of the earth should be better peacemakers than God's people. No one should be better peacemakers than God's people. And when we, we look at this, for the kingdom of God, it says, is a, is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy. And unbelievers may not believe in the Christ that we serve, but the one thing that they should be able to say is that they are a peaceful group of people. If there's nothing else that they can say is that they are a peaceful group of people. Is that our testimony? Can those who are unbelievers, who we are around consistently, say that about us? Out of our love for them. Can they really say that? Because Can they say that that's a peaceful person? I was reminded of this when looking at a story of one named Thomas Lineker. Thomas Lineker was a, a physician to King Henry VII and, and King Henry VIII. And, and he uh, was friends also with Erasmus, who was at that time was a priest back in the 1400s and 1500s. And later in his life, Lineker was given a copy of the Gospels to read. And that was, that was the first time he was going to read these Gospels, because you have to understand, back in those, those times, uh, typically only the clergy read the Gospels. Typically, the clergy are the only ones who had uh, the, 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 the really the, the know-how, or, or was appeared to be the know-how to read the Gospels. That was one of the reasons why we see the Reformation of the church back in those times. And so Thomas Lineker, later in his life, after he had seen a lot of dark days in the, in the church, he had seen a lot of dark things happen. He had seen murder, he had seen uh, corruption, incest, he had seen a bunch of things. And then he starts to read this gospel later in his life, and after reading the gospel, Lineker was amazed and troubled. He was amazed and troubled because he said, either these are not the gospels, or we are not Christians. He said, either these are not the gospels, or these are not Christians. He had lived so long and had seen so many things, and, but had not read the Gospels of Jesus Christ. 
and he looked at the gospel, he said, the two don't match up. He says, what, I'm, what I've seen in the church and what I've seen take place, he says, it stands in contrast to what the gospels are seeing. And let that not be said about God's people. Let that not be said about us. That what is read, what is, what is spoken of in the gospels, that doesn't look to be the case when I look at this individual, when I look at this church, or when I look at this particular situation. Let that not be the case. I don't care how long you have been a member of a church or how many ministries you serve on. I question anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ if everywhere you go there is trouble following you. And I ain't talking about the type of trouble that I'm a Christian and, and you know, you're just being persecuted. I'm talking about every time, everywhere you go, there's trouble. I question anyone who does not come with peace on their mind because something is not right. Just as Lineker said, the two don't match up. What I see in the Gospels doesn't, doesn't appear with, with, the, with the lifestyle. And no one's perfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. But the one thing that we do see is that God's power through his Holy Spirit enables us to be a new creation. And we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for God who has called us by his grace. Our memory verse for the month is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of, of God. So that, that memory verse is there to help us to re remember that God's children are peacemakers, not peace breakers. They're peacemakers. And so wherever God's people are, there should be some peace. That doesn't mean that there are not going to be some things that we have to deal with and some difficult situations. But above all, we should be striving to, to, to bring peace wherever we go. And God is calling us to do this by the power of the Holy, Holy Spirit to ensure we live in, a, in, in peace and in harmony. So not only within our families are we to do this, and not only in the church of God, but also amongst those who don't know Jesus Christ, that they may come to know the peace of Jesus Christ. If the world sees God's people fighting, gossiping, quarreling, why would they want to become a part of that? People have enough unrest in their lives as it is. People are trying to find peace. They're just looking a lot of times in the wrong places, looking for peace in, 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 in money or TV or whatever it might be, or in other people. They just don't know where it is. But let them see that we are peacemakers. They should witness the love and the peace of Christ through us. So when we look at this, I want us to think about the fact that every Christian shares one, at least one ministry together. We all have one ministry in common. We looked last week, uh, Pastor Jamal spoke about servants and how we are servants and how we are to use our gifts to serve uh, the, the body and how we are to serve others. And, and when we look at this, uh, everybody has kind of different gifts and serve in a different way. But we all have one particular ministry in common. Regardless of our spiritual gift, we have the ministry of reconciliation. That is one ministry that God has given us all. Each and every person who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to be ambassadors of reconciliation. 
Do you see yourself, do we see ourselves as ambassadors of Jesus Christ? When you think about an ambassador, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who is representing a foreign land or representing their homeland in a foreign land. And they're not going about representing their, their, their land on their own terms and how they want to do things, but they strictly adhere to what it is they've been told to do. And so God is calling us to be ambassadors. And if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians and we'll see Paul speak of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. And Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I like that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he says he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Paul is, 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 is encouraging us to look at ourselves as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And we are ambassadors of peace from, our, from, from the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is one of peace. And so we are to be peacemakers. We are to have a message of peace. The gospel is a message of peace. And we can be peacemakers we can be ambassadors of Christ when we look back at the motivation for us being merciful and us being loving to those who may not show love to us. We can be ambassadors because we look back at how God has treated us. When we were enemies of God, how God loved on us in spite of ourselves. And so we are expected to share this good news of peace. We are expected to, to be a testimony, a living testimony, to how God has saved us and how God has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light, how God has made peace with us. For truly we were enemies of God. That is the good news of, of, of peace in that we were once enemies of God. We were born in sin, shaped in iniquity because of the, the original sin of Adam. And because of our sin, we were enemies of God. Sometimes we look at enemies. We look at, uh, when you look at Al-Qaeda and the U.S., you think of enemies. We were, more en we were greater enemies to God than that because of our sin separated us from God. But here is the paradox that God still loved us when we were yet in sin. That he still loved us even though we were sinners. That even though we were enemies of him, he still loved us. 
And so God is not calling us to do anything different than what he's done for us. And so when he's calling us to be peacemakers, when he's calling us to be merciful to those who have harmed us or those who may be persecuting us in some kind of way, to not repay evil with evil, he's calling us to do what he has done for us already. And so we see this God, this God who has loved us, who has loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son to suffer on the cross, to pay the price for our sins and to endure the perfect right, the perfect wrath of God so that we would not have to go through that, even though we were enemies of God. It describes how a loving God sent Christ to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. And so this is the message of peace. This is the good news of peace. And so God is calling us, he's challenging us as well to share this good news of peace to those who may not know Jesus Christ. To let them know that God has died on the cross for them. And that he has made peace with them, uh, for them, with God. So that is the message that we are to share. So how do we become peacemakers? How can we become better peacemakers? And, and 2 Corinthians laid it out. It says, first of all, in order to be peacemakers, we must be reconciled to God ourselves before we can reconcile others to God. So God is calling us to reconcile ourselves to God first. If someone hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, given their lives totally over to him, he's calling us to, to give our lives to Jesus Christ, to be reconciled to God first and foremost. Because when we are reconciled to God, we are clothed with the righteousness of God. And so when we are clothed with the righteousness of God, Scripture tells us that the fruit of righteousness is peace. And so when we are, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, from that should be the fruit of peace that comes from that, that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so first and foremost, we must be reconciled to God. By surrendering our life to Jesus Christ in order to be peacemakers for God. Another thing that I think is clear is that we must allow God to bear our burdens if we're going to be peacemakers. I think that quite often it's difficult for us to have peace or we are, many are having trouble being peacemakers because of some, some issues in their life. They, uh, there must be some, some built up anger. Some, some bitterness, uh, some unforgiveness, some anxiety or some hatred. There's something there that hinders that person from truly being peaceful and truly desiring to be peaceful. And so we must allow God to bear our burdens. And, and, and that's, that, only, that comes through prayer. That comes through us going to God in prayer and truly trusting whatever is troubling us to give that over to the Lord. Allow him to bear our burdens. Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells us, says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so he says, if, if you're carrying around some anxiety, and there's something that's troubling you, 
Give it to the Lord. If we, if we are carrying around some burdens or some baggage, it's going to be difficult for us to, to truly be peacemakers to others. Because there's, sometimes there's that bitterness and there's that anger and there's that rage that's kind of built up that we're not willing to let go. It may be someone who's not able to forgive somebody else because of what they've done to them a while back. And so they just can't bring themselves to forgive that person. Or maybe anger at a spouse because of what they've done. And we can't come to bring ourselves to forgive that our spouse. And so every time we talk to each other, there's, there's, some, there's some true words going on. There's some anger going on. There's some heat in the house. And so rather than there being love, there's an era or a spirit of, of bitterness and, and hurt. Because we haven't been able to bring ourselves to forgive the person who we live with every, every single day. So we're under the same roof. But that's about it. You know, one of the things that used to, used to trouble me, I'm sure Jasmine would like this and, and Maceo. Um, one of the things that used to trouble me is when we used to be in the car, we used to ride in the car and there were times when Jasmine or Maceo would then put on their headphones. And for some reason, that really troubled me to be in the same car and they have their headphones on. I mean, granted, we're listening to music, you know, we're just wherever we may be going, but that really troubled me at times to see them in the same car with headphones on. And so if I wanted to talk to them, I had to kind of Because if I started talking before I prepped them, then I'm just going to have to repeat myself again. And so that really troubled me. And I think a lot of times that's how we are in our home sometimes. We have headphones on and we're not talking to each other. Because of some issues that are going on. And so if we're going to get beyond that, if we're going to get to a, a, a place where we can be peaceful toward each other, starting in our families, then it's going to start with us giving the Lord whatever's troubling our hearts. It's going to start there. And that will carry over into how we relate and how we treat those who are around us. So rather than somebody coming and, and saying, oh, they got a chip on their shoulder, or when, when we walk in the room, there's this feeling that, okay, you got to be on guard because you don't know what's going to happen. It should be that, okay, this is, a, this is a peaceful person. They come in peace. Jesus Christ came in peace. And so he's calling us as well to be peacemakers, to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And that our message may be one of reconciliation, of peace. And so let us just be encouraged and to think about that when we look at these, these challenges. Again, the first challenge to devote time to our families, to show love to our families by spending time with them and showing honor to our families. And second, that we may also be witnesses to those who don't know Jesus Christ by loving them in such a way that they can, they can experience the peace and the patience, and the love, and the grace, and the mercy of God. And so that is our challenge. I challenge each and every one of you. Uh, if, 
your home has been in a, in a state of chaos. Reclaim back your families. Reclaim back what Satan has taken. Don't stand by and, and be seen as a victim. But know that God is with you and that he who is with you is stronger than he who is in the world. And so know that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But we must go to God's word. We must go to him in prayer. We must flood our homes with that. Trusting in him. And if those in your family won't pray with you, if they won't study scripture with you, that's all right. You, you do it. You do it. But cover your home. Cover your home and lock your doors with prayer and with the word of God. And be a witness to, to someone else. We're encouraging you to witness to two people. Tell them your testimony. It doesn't have to be anything large or some extraordinary testimony. But just your testimony is extraordinary when you just look at how Christ saved you from your sins. And so, and, and so just tell them of how Christ has made peace for you between you and God. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Father God, we thank you. We praise you, Lord God. We thank you because you have been loving to us. When we weren't, when we weren't deserving and when, we're, when we have been unlovable, Lord God, you have truly been and remained faithful to us, Father God, and we are truly thankful. But also come before you, Father God, asking that you to forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Father God, for those times of not being loving, Lord God, to our family members. For being different in the church home than what we are at our own home. Ask that you to forgive us, Father God, for not doing what you've called us to do, which is to raise our children up and our families up in the word of God. Just as Joshua declared, Father God, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so, Lord God, I pray that we will be better individuals within our homes, that we will have a spiritual fervor, Lord, that, that lasts, Lord God, and, is, and, and continues, Father God, even after we leave your sanctuary. I pray, Father God, that we may be, that we may be witnesses, Father God, to those who don't know Jesus Christ. For that is the commission, Lord, you have given us, Lord, that we may share your gospel, the good news of peace, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That they may come to know Jesus Christ for themselves, and they may come to know the satisfaction that comes with living and walking in Christ. Again, I thank you, Father God, for your message. Thank you, Father God, for these people. I ask you just to bless us, Lord. In accordance to your will, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.